For many people, the term Tourette's syndrome conjures up thoughts of this. Ball sweat! Anus! Anus liquor! Uh, uh, go nipple biter! Da, 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 da. Fuck it. Dick! Hey. Oh, eggplant. Fuck! Nubbin! <laughs> so it might seem impossible for someone with Tourette's to be a TV or radio presenter. But Seamus Evans has done both. I didn't want to do anything else other than be on TV. I've always been a performer. I've always been the centre of attention. And now he's on a mission to educate us all about the condition he's lived with all his life. The person who has Tourette's is normal. They are a normal person and you should treat them as such. Hi, I'm Damien Huffenden and this is Real Life from 7 News. Seamus Evans is a former TV host. You might remember him from Toasted TV. He's also a former breakfast radio host. And what most people didn't know as they watched him on TV or listened to him as they drove to work was that he was diagnosed with Tourette's syndrome and it nearly cost him his big break. Now Seamus is educating others about the condition in the hopes to get rid of the stigma around Tourette's, speaking to schools and businesses about turning perceived flaws into superpowers. Seamus Evans, welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. Now, we know you from TV, or some people may know you from TV and radio. You've been a comedian, you've presented on TV, you've presented on radio, but you've also got Tourette's syndrome. And a lot of people would go, well, how could you be on TV and on radio and, you know, talking to a crowd when you're possibly yelling out profanities in the middle of it? So let's get it out on the table. How does it work? So my Tourette syndrome, uh, I don't have coprolalia and coprolalia is the profanity swearing tick. I don't have that. I do have uh, echolalia, which is uh, I, growing up, I used to have words that I would say, like I used to say, mum, man, hey, and I do repeat a lot of words that other people say and I repeat a lot of my own words. I remember a doctor explaining it to me many years ago because I did a science, there was a, there was a kid show on Channel 10 called Scope, which was a science show. And I did a story for them on Tourette syndrome. And the psychiatrist explained to me, it's like, you know, when you wake up in the morning and you have a song stuck in your head. Well, people with Tourette's, that's like 10 times more common. So all the time I wake up with like different work, different like quotes from movies, just one lyric of a song, just over in my head, repeating over and over and over. However, I, um, me personally, it did take me quite a while to learn how to manipulate my tics and disguise them into body language so I could be on television. Because when I first started my career, uh, my boss basically said to me after finding out that I had Tourette's because I wasn't forthcoming in telling them, not because I was hiding it, but more so because I was, uh, I guess, embarrassed and I didn't want to having Tourette's syndrome to be my identity. So I wasn't, I didn't tell them straight up out of the bat so when they found out they noticed i was ticking and they're like what's 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 going on and i told them i've got tourette's and my boss said well you're still under probation so having tourette's while you're on television is going to be a problem you know we, we we can just fire you and i failed school i hated school and i there was i didn't want to do anything else other than be on tv i've always been a performer i've always been the center of attention the joke maker of the family i'm the youngest of the family 
So I'm the tension breaker. That's that's my job in a family of of six. So um, that was all I wanted. And when the boss told me that, I kind of, I guess I, I freaked out, and 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 I was so disappointed that this thing that I had, this Tourette's, that I I actually grew up hating. I hated it so much. I hated it my whole life because it made me different. This thing that I had was going to take me away from doing what I've always wanted to do. And I was faced with two options. And the options were, well, I may as well just quit because this is not going to work out. I've got Tourette's. Or two, why don't I just try and learn how to disguise them? So it took a few months of a lot of trial and error, um, just basically identifying how I'm feeling, working out the trigger points for my ticks, working out why I tick, how I tick and when I tick. And it took me a long time to be able to pinpoint them and then slightly redirect them ever so slightly over and over again to then change them. Not everybody is capable of changing their ticks. Everybody's relationship with Tourette's is different. But with mine, I was able to manipulate my ticks. And the way I like to describe it is like, just say I tick 200 times a day. Oh, geez, I failed math. So let's see how I go with this. If I tick 200 times a day and over three months, I tick like 18,000 times and every single tick I do is slightly different, then I've changed that tick like 18,000 times. So for example, when I first started, I would be doing large head nods, large head movements, hand flicking, clicking fingers, big like open mouth, almost like I'm yawning without yawning. And over time, I was able to slightly change them ever so much to stomach rolls, butt clenches and redirect them. So I could be on TV and not let them take the attention away from the content that we were filming or take them away from the interviewee who we were interviewing, you know, um, it did, it did take a while, but funnily enough, since I've become an ambassador for Tourette Syndrome Association Australia, and since I've been giving talks in schools on overcoming adversity, building resilience, I'm actually ticking a lot more because one of the triggers for Tourette's is talking about it, thinking about it, seeing ticks and thinking about it is you tick a lot more. So actually I, I had coffee with a friend of mine recently. He said, mate, since you've started this speaking career, are you ticking more? I was like, way more. Absolutely. Cause that's always on my mind. Like I'm always thinking about Tourette's and I'm always, you know, talking about it. And, and, and so lately over the last year, I've been ticking way more than I have for the past 13. But it, it was, it was a, a real journey, not necessarily the physical journey of learning how to manipulate my ticks, more of an acceptance journey because growing up with Tourette's was really difficult and really hard because like I mentioned before, I didn't like them. I didn't ask for Tourette's. I didn't want them, but I was, I have them. And so, and when, when, I guess when you're perceived as different to everyone, it can play on your insecurities. It can play on your, um, you know, your self confidence. 
And so that was more of the overcoming adversity journey of actually my self-discovery and being confident in the fact that I do have Tourette's and owning it and accepting it. And it was only through that that I was able to really work on them. You said that uh, you grew up with it, obviously. Uh, when did you or, or your family realise that you had it? What was going on? <sighs> that was a tick to send, by the way. <laughs> that, 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 one, that one's a funny one because that one comes on whenever I go to talk to someone on the phone. So as soon as I answer a phone call, I'm like, <sighs> hello, Seamus speaking. And they're like, uh, is there a lawnmower in the background? So Sounds like you're blowing a raspberry. Yeah, yeah, they were funny. Um, I, 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 I had it as a baby. So when I was born, my sister called me Snuffleupagus because I always like wriggled my nose and sniffed <laughs> as a baby. And so, yeah, my family called me Snuffleupagus for a while, but it really developed and I really started to show the symptoms and the ticks. Maybe around eight or nine, and I would have these tick fits that I couldn't control, like strong strong grunting where I would ruin my voice book constantly like <clears throat> and, and, and flicking my head really, really hard as if I was flicking the fringe out of my hair. And I remember when that tick first started to develop, my mum said, because my hair was getting long, I said, oh, we've got to take you to get a haircut because you're flicking your fringe out of your eyes. And then we got a haircut and about an hour later, or not even 20 minutes later, I started flicking my head and she goes Seamus why are you flicking your hair out of your eyes you don't have it anymore and I said I don't know I guess it's just a habit and I called them habits for years and then one day and my mum told me this only years later she overheard me at night because I hated them I had these fits that I couldn't control and 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 you know I was a real standout at school because I was ticking all the time and no one really knew what was going on so I was a bit of a, a sitting duck for comments from the, you know, the school smartass, even though I was the school smartass, but the other smartasses. <laughs> so one day or one night before I was going to bed, mum overheard me in my room. I was on the, my knees on the edge of the bed praying and I was saying, God, take my habits away. Take them away from me. And, and that, that broke my mum's heart. So she was like, we've got to, we've got to get to the bottom of this. And, you know, this is like 1997 and no one really knew. Well, in my life, in my family, in my community, no one really knew about Tourette's or what it was. And my grandmother actually saw a documentary on one of the television shows, one of the documentaries about Tourette's. And she called my mum straight away and said, Gina, you've got to turn the TV on. Have a look at this documentary. This is Seamus. And so then we started going to specialists and at the age of 10, I was properly diagnosed with Tourette's and the, uh, the specialist at the time, he said that it would be gone by the time I was 18. Well, I'm 31 and I still, I stick, still tick all day, every day. When you're diagnosed with something like that, uh, you know, how does that impact you and the family? Because obviously you'd be looking for some sort of solution, what can be done. The doctor's saying, oh, you're just going to grow out of it. But, you know, is there any sort of medication or is there any sort of physical uh, therapy type thing you can do? Or is it really just living with it? Well, I remember when I was that age that there was 
a medication option. But I remember the doctor saying it could have some extreme, uh, not symptoms. What do you call it when you take a drug? Side there effects. Is, side, thank you. There are some extreme side effects that can actually really alter who I was. And so I remember thinking, oh, I don't really want to do that. So I just, there was some like natural powders and things. Oh, I don't know. When I was that age, I think when I was that age and we finally got diagnosed with it, it was a relief because we had an answer and we had a reason. And so we could understand, oh, that's why he keeps ticking. That's why he keeps doing this. And I mean, I, I did get diagnosed with ADHD at the same time, but I remember my mum at the time saying she didn't want to put me on any Ritalin or any drugs when I was a kid. So I just, I guess I had to just sink or swim in the schoolyard, <laughs> which I mean, thinking back, if she put me on Ritalin, I probably would have gotten straight A's and I would have been an astronaut or something. But instead, um, I failed school. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of school, uh, obviously, how you, you said that you didn't enjoy it, but how was it, obviously, with those physical uh, tics, you know, you, being, being different um, and being you know, very noticeably different. How is that? There's no two ways about it. Having Tourette's as an adolescent is hard. It is difficult because there is no cure. You can't control them. So you are a sitting duck and, you know, you are, you are a standout. And if, you're, if you are a shy person, you are forced into the limelight because of Tourette's. And I wasn't shy However, I wasn't necessarily confident in the fact that I, I was diagnosed with something that made me different. So it was always a constant reminder when someone brought it up. And, that, you know, it really encouraged these, these, these comments like, stop, because no one knew what it was, my, my students, you know, my peer students didn't know what it was either. They were like, Seamus, stop it. It's annoying. Seamus take your medication, you freak, you're a weirdo, you know, you're a retard, all these comments that would constantly build up over, over the 12 years of schooling was hard. And I remember I had uh, an OCD tick as well, because there are a lot of neurological conditions that come with Tourette's or, or, or that Tourette's come with, you know, that are related. And I remember one tick that I had was everything had to be even. So if I touched something with one hand, I had to touch it with the other, or if I banged one leg, I'd have to bang the other at the equal pressure at the exact same spot. So when the school bullies, I remember distinctly in high school, when the school bullies found this out, they slapped me across the face and would watch until I had to slap the other side just as hard. And wow. they thought it was funny and they would keep doing it. And then there was also this, like in primary school, I got in a lot of fights because I was sticking up for myself. But in high school, I was not a very big kid. I was a late bloomer. So I had to learn not to fight and instead defend myself with my wit. I guess that's where I guess that's where the uh, the comedian came out in me because I had to learn how to be sharp and quick-witted to deflect the bullying even though you know that stuff still happens unfortunately. It's almost an unescapable situation especially with someone with Tourette's. You start making that move into television, um, and obviously it started with that story on Scope. Uh, you mentioned also that you kept the Tourette's from your boss, but behind all that, what were you thinking as you started that career? 
I guess uh, it wasn't a secret, but it was, I just, for so long, I just pretended I didn't have it because I hated being different and I hated people looking at me as I'd walk down the street and double take at me and I'd, you know, they'd always ask the questions and I wasn't in the mood to answer them or I just ignored it and I pretended it wasn't there. It's like, it's like there's a rumor going around about you that you just ignore, but everyone you meet knows the rumor and you just never address it like, like the pink elephant in the room. And so I just hoped that it wouldn't get in the way. And when it did present itself with the potential roadblock for not being on television, that's, yeah, that's when the real, that's when my real journey of self-acceptance had to come into play because I had to stop ignoring it so I could work on it. I had to stop ignoring it. I had to stop denying it for myself and I had to stop coming up with um, essentially uh, defense mechanisms to deflect the questions and the comments. And I would have to learn how to own it and, and learn, learn how to accept who I was and what I came with. You talked about manipulating your ticks so that they weren't as noticeable. Is that something that a lot of people can do? And, and really, how did you go about doing that? If they're, they're kind of involuntary, I guess. Well, everybody's relationship with Tourette syndrome is different. So my relationship with my Tourette's is different to someone else's relationship and experience with their Tourette's. And that's something I've really come to learn having recently been a part of the community and, and being an ambassador, meeting so many different people who also have Tourette's syndrome. So not everybody is capable of it. Also, I've had Tourette's since I was a baby and I'm 31. So I've had 31 years of experience with handling my Tourette's and my tics. Whereas I've met some people, you know, they're, they're, they're 14 and they only got ticks two years ago. They only got diagnosed six months ago. So their experience of handling their ticks is so new. Whereas I've got so many years of experience. So I guess for me, I, I have just worked out my own way. And, and, and what might work for me may not work for someone else with Tourette's. It's such, an ex, it's such a complex condition and such, such a um, – see, it's more common than people think. One in 100 kids have Tourette's and one in 200 adults are affected by Tourette's. So it's not as rare as people think. However, it's still – there are still so many inconclusive studies and a lot of – a lot of unawareness, I guess. A lot of there's not a lot of education on it. A lot of teachers don't know about it. A lot of teachers don't know how to handle someone with Tourette's. Like I still speak to people in the community now who get a hard time from their teacher because they're like, just go outside and do it, or or just get it all out of the way now, or, or just stop it, just reduce it. And they don't understand that that's not how it works. So there's there's a real lack of education, not around awareness, but there's a lack of education on how to treat someone with Tourette's, not from a medical standpoint, but from a social standpoint. 
from TV, you moved into radio, and obviously, I guess there was less of a focus there on your physical ticks, but I guess mm-hmm. you still kind of had to be aware of any audible ticks. How did you go with that? That I did notice. So what was really interesting is the moment I left television, I was in television for seven years, and I quit, and I moved to Melbourne to be the next Kyle Sanderlands, and um, I found it very difficult to get into radio. So haven't we all done that? But, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> However, what was really interesting is the moment I stopped television, I developed a tick in my left shoulder and left pec. I developed like three ticks within the first month of leaving. Could have been stress, could have been anxiety, could have been depression, a whole range of things of leaving television to break into radio. However, what I noticed is because there was a lack of attention from my end to redirecting the tick, the ticks just came uh, a lot stronger and were a lot more visible. But going into radio when I had to, yeah, when I was on air, you know, doing breakfast radio and I would have audible ticks, like I, I have I have quite a few. I have, <laughs> like I've got a few that can quite easily be picked up. There were some I would just try and let out quietly. There were some I would disguise into a sentence. There were some I would do over accentuate to be a cough or a grunt or a clearing of the throat. And there would be a lot that I would do before and after. So for example, for those people listening who don't know, I'll break down the fourth wall of radio. In a live breakfast show, you've got 10 seconds until you're on air. Before I turn the mics on, I would let out like four or five ticks to get them out of the way, hit the mics, and then for three minutes, not tick, and then turn the mics off, then I'd tick. And I would do a very similar thing in, in television. They'd say, all right, camera's ready, and then I'm flicking, I'm ticking, I'm going, doing it all, and then the moment the camera was on, you know, I, 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 would, I would do the more disguisable ticks or not tick at all. Um, but, yeah, there were moments in breakfast radio where I would just blatantly tick and you can't see the audience. So I have no idea if they picked up on it or not. And because I was so open about having Tourette's, you know, a boss isn't going to come in and say, don't tick while you're on it. Like they're not going to say that. So I guess I just got away with it if I did. <laughs> how, did how did you find listeners responded to that? If, if you were so open about it, they knew sort of what it was, I guess. How, how, what was the reaction from, from the audience? I found every time I have opened up and been quite vulnerable and honest about having Tourette's, because it's not as rare as people think, one in 100 kids, one in 200 adults, someone always knows someone who has tics or has Tourette's or has noticed them. So I got a lot of callers or a lot of listeners you know, who would stop me in the street and they would say, oh, just so you know, like that was really lovely you speaking about Tourette's because my cousin or my nephew, my niece, my son, we're seeing these ticks develop. And it was a real reassuring discussion because I'm not a parent, but I saw my mum go through this and I've, I've met many parents who go through this who have a, a child who's only recently been diagnosed with it. They freak out. And they get scared. They get worried. They think the worst. They think, you know, what's wrong with my child? My child is going to be different. You know, they're going to be a freak. They're going to be, what you know, their life will never be the same. But to hear me open up about it and be so vulnerable about it, 
um, I guess it normalized it and reiterated that it is going to be okay and it's not as bad as what you think. So every time I spoke about it, I guess I got a positive response. A few times I did get people not believing me. So I did, because uh, I do stand-up comedy, I did a gig recently and I said that I have Tourette's and I showed them my tics because I've got a lot of jokes about the different tics that I have in social situations. And I, I overheard a Karen-esque lady in the front <laughs> row whisper something or quite loudly say something to the person next to her. I said, oh, what'd you say? She said, you don't have Tourette's, I don't believe you. I said, what? She goes, you're lying, you don't have Tourette's. People with Tourette's don't do that. And I'm like, what? I didn't know how to respond. Usually I'm very quick on my feet and love hecklers, but I was like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, how, how do you test that? It's not a proctology exam. Like, there's no thermometer or, like, temperature taking. So, And why would you make it up? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And if you're going to make it up, you're usually going to talk about the swearing one. But I – and that that was one of the biggest comments and questions I get, I get all the time. Oh you've, got, oh, you've got Tourette's. Oh, do you just swear all the time and, and say you've got Tourette's? And I'm like, well, no, because I do swear all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like, no, I just swear in everyday language, you know? Well, that's why I thought it was so interesting to get you on because I know a lot of people, when they think of Tourette's, obviously they think of the swearing and the, the inappropriateness. And so that's why uh, I wanted to get you on to talk about that. You also, obviously, you spoke about the stand-up and you know making fun of it, making jokes of it. That's a way for you to cope. But have you ever found people either don't understand or think you're ridiculing Tourette's? by doing that? Yeah, all, all the time. And I really try and express, like, for example, on my TikTok, I, I, I have, I think it's like 22,000 followers and I do a lot of stuff on my Tourette's. And even on stand-up and when I've spoken about it openly, I do get a lot of people who think that I am taking the piss. And I really try and express that I'm taking the piss of myself this is my experience and these are my tics and this is a way that I've handled my co- – this is my coping mechanism because for a very long time I didn't like people laughing at me for having tics. But now as I've accepted it and I've gotten older and I've, I've gone through my journey of self-acceptance and working out who I am, I find it funny myself. I have a great sense of humour and, and I giggle to myself all the time when – because I have a, a head, a head nod, as if it's like when you're when 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 you're saying good day to your mate, you flick your head back to say, "Oh, good day." That's one of my ticks. So the amount of times I'm in a cafe and the waiter comes over, or you know, I'm I'm walking down the street and someone says hello to me because I don't realise that I'm doing the tick to say hello. So I find it funny. I don't find Tourette's funny. I find my ticks funny, and that is the way that I've learnt how to deal with it because there, yeah, there is no cure. So how else am I going to deal with it? The other option is just continue to be embarrassed, continue to be insecure about it and, and get embarrassed when people, you know, laugh at me. But I found, I found making the joke first made everybody laugh with me instead of laugh at me and making the joke first before everybody else. It was a way of, being accepted as a peer it's like when you first develop a friendship with someone 
you know, it takes a while before that Australian taking the piss out of each other kicks in. And once you do that, then you're mates, you know, you can do that with your mate. You can't do that with a stranger. So once I found I would beat everyone to the joke, I developed a kinship essentially, like a, a, a bit of a, a mateship with someone because they were like, oh, he's all right. He, he made the joke and, 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 and it essentially deflected the tension first. So it was, that was my cure. That was my defense mechanism. That was my survival, I guess. Now you're an ambassador and a speaker. You, you speak about your experience and uh, obviously talk to kids and I think uh, even businesses as well. How yeah. do you find that? And I guess, is it, is it more fulfilling than what you wanted to do in television? Uh, absolutely. I, I got made redundant uh, a bit over a year ago from my breakfast radio job, as a lot of people did across the world, thanks to COVID-19. And in... You know what? I had 13 years. I thought they were going to fire me after the first week of being in television, hosting a kid's show. And 13 years later, my career came to an end, not through any fault of my own. So I remember having that moment of going, well, what am I going to do? And I applied for a few other, excuse me. I applied for a few other jobs. That wasn't a tick, by the way. I just burped. But I, oh, thanks. <laughs> I applied for a few other jobs and I started thinking about it. What was I going to do? And I thought, you know what? I've had a great career, but it's been a lot about me. And it's been, I'm in the limelight. It's attention on me. Look at me. I'm on TV. Look at me. I'm on the radio, you know, being recognized in the street. And although that was great and, 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 and these people have a role in society of entertaining and informing, I found, I felt like, I felt like I came to the end of the road of that side of my career. And I really felt that I wanted to connect with people who were still battling with their own identity, were still battling with their adversity and still struggled to know what they wanted to do in their life. Like even a lot of adults still don't know what they want to be when they grow up. And as, as a really disengaged student, not enjoying school, you know, a lot of the options after school were out of the, were out of the question for me because of my grade, but it took me a while to actually know what I wanted to be. And when I was able to pursue that, it was so satisfying. So now after the 13 years, I remember thinking, you know what, I think it's time to give back a little bit and, 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 and inspire and encourage and motivate people to be the best versions of themselves and stop masking who they really are because the amount of times a lot of us pretend to be someone that we're not for acceptance from other people. And, and, and I just find that really heartbreaking. So I really, essentially I wanted to go on a mission to speak to schools and encourage students, Hey, you are amazing who you are. You need to embrace who you are and lean into that as much as you can because that's when you're really going to find your passion. That's when you're really going to find what you want to be when you grow up. That's when you're really going to thrive. And from doing that, I've had a lot of, I've now broken into corporate speaking and, and, and I've got a lot of corporate gigs coming up and a lot of schools and it's kind of starting to grow and, 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 and it's been a really great positive reaction especially, yeah, it has been more fulfilling. It's been more rewarding and it's been more emotional. 
because I've always been the joke guy on radio and television and cracking the joke on stage, when I'm on stage giving my talks, I'm quite open about my vulnerabilities and my struggles that I've had with mental health and my, you know, I really open up about the struggles I had with Tourette's as a kid and I don't know, I guess it's freeing. It's, it's freeing when you're confident enough to talk about your vulnerabilities because as a guy, we don't want to talk about that stuff. But the more comfortable I've gotten talking about it, I guess it's therapeutic. I think there's so many more conversations happening now, like you said, about mental health. Um, I was talking to Dylan Alcott recently, talking about uh, physical disability. Uh, you're talking about uh, Tourette's. Like, there's so many more conversations happening now. Obviously, you've got to think that's a good thing. Of course. I think it's an amazing thing because for so many years, no one spoke about it. You know, if you're sad, you'd, you'd go get some medication from the doctor and, and, and you'd ignore it. And especially as a guy, like I still, I still struggle to cry. Like I, I really have a problem crying. I, ha- I just shut down and I don't, uh, when I get sad, I just don't get sad. My mind escapes. It's like <laughs> if, if something sad happens, you cut to my brain and you know, there's a monkey playing the bongos. Like it just, it just disappears. <laughs> and there's still that in- inherent, there's still that embarrassment to cry. And I think the more discussion, the more open we are about it, the more we realize that that is so normal to feel all the emotions and, 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 when you're open about your emotions, you're more relatable to everyone because everybody has emotions. We just pretend we don't. And the more we talk about it, the more someone will go, actually, I feel the same way, but I didn't know anyone else did. I thought I was different, so I don't express it. And yeah, I think it's very important that people start talking more about their mental health and their own situations, not even just with friends, but psychologists. Like I've had some pretty dark times and I've been to so many different psychologists and a lot of them turned me away because they think my my problems are neurological because I have Tourette's instead of psychological wow. but I've, I've finally found a really good one now so he, he he's awesome and 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 it's been really good learning that it's normal to feel emotion and that it's normal to go through it it just sucks and in my opinion it takes a brave man to go through their emotion and experience it instead of run away from it, which is what I do and have been doing for many years. <laughs> Deep, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, let's lighten it up. Well, one final thing besides the, uh, I guess, the you know swearing and inappropriate outbursts that is the yeah. common misconception, what's one thing that people should know about Tourette's syndrome and people with Tourette's syndrome? I would say that... The person who has Tourette's is normal. They are a normal person and you should treat them as such. And I would say that it's not a novelty. It's not satirical and it should be not focused on. In my personal opinion, I think I think if you see someone with Tourette's, if you see someone ticking, I don't think it depends on your relationship with them, but I think you should ignore it because 
it just draws more attention to them that they've gotten their whole lives. I guess it's the same if you see someone in a wheelchair. You're not going to go, you're in a wheelchair. It's the same kind of thing. If you see someone ticking, you don't need to bring it up unless you you develop a really good relationship where you think that they are comfortable with having that conversation. And I think, yeah, I think that's the really important thing that it's, it's, it might be novelty to you, but it's not novelty to them. So don't treat it like it's a novelty. All right. We know you're working for yourself now. So shameless plug time. Yes. My website, SeamusEvans.com, my Instagram and Facebook, Mr. Seamus Evans. Um, I give talks all over the country in schools and organizations. And my keynote talk is on turning a flaw into a superpower through acceptance, passion and determination. So if you have any organization or school, I want to talk at your organization or school. We'll throw the links in the description as well. Uh, are you hoping to start traveling now that things are opening up? Absolutely. I've got um, about in March next year, I'm heading down to Victoria and I've got a week in Victoria where I'll be doing um, a Tourette Syndrome Association camp down there. I'll be there. And then for the week after that, I'll be doing as many regional Victoria schools as I possibly can. I'm, um, I'm in the process of making those contacts now and, and organizing that week. And yeah, you know, finally working for myself and not having to get up at four o'clock in the morning to go to a studio with one other person. I'm, uh, yeah, I can't wait to fly all over Australia. And my mission is really to talk in every high school. So there's a lot of them. There's 1,863 high schools that I've found across Australia. So I'll be a busy boy. You got your map and the pins ready to go? Got all the pins. Let me tell you the amount of times I've called a school. Their front switchboard lady is the hardest, most intense gatekeeper in the world every <laughs> single time. Hello, what do you want? Hi, I want to come and speak at yours. Who are you? Oh, I just, um, <clears throat> I've Tourette's syndrome. What do you need? It's, they are the most intense gatekeepers ever. But, um, you know, I'm adding more schools to my list and my 2022 is starting to fill up. So, so I'm a busy man and I can't wait to speak at as many schools as I can. All right. Well, I appreciate your time. I appreciate your candor. I appreciate you opening up. It's been a great story and it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. So hopefully we'll do it again soon and uh, all the best for the speaking. Absolutely, mate. Thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you. Thank you so much. And a big thanks to Seamus for his time there. Don't forget to subscribe or follow for more real-life episodes. You can also read more at 7news.com.au forward slash real life. For 7 News, I'm Damien Huffenden, and this has been Real Life. Real Life.